Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. This morning we're starting the book of uh, the letter of 1 John. So we're going to read the first four verses together. These are the words of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these, these things so that our joy may be complete. Join me in prayer, will you? Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the cloud, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are the great deep, are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. God, would you, would you give us life this morning, the life that you sent from heaven in your Son, Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, would you, would you light up the darkness of our hearts Help us to see you. Help us to turn from sin. Help us to receive your word. And God, would you strengthen us to, uh, to obey what you say and to respond in faith and trust and obedience, God. We ask this morning through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my name's James Griffin. If you don't know me, I'm a member at... Um, I guess it's not Damascus Road East anymore. Damascus Road South, Park Street. I don't know what well, my kids say. The church that has the vending machine in it. Um, I just want us to just begin and just give a little bit of, I don't know, just a little caveat, a little maybe apology that, that um, you know, when you, when you open up God's word, there's, there's, like, there's just so much that could be said. There's so much that, 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 could, that we could focus on, that we could get drawn into. And, and there's, there's parts in this passage that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get drawn into probably more than others. And there's other parts that probably could have and should have gotten more attention. And, and my trouble is always that I have too much to say and I just, need to, I just need to rein it in and put a limit on it. And there's always next Sunday. So, I just want to say, first off, that, you know, Shannon asked me to do this, like, with not a whole lot of time, and I wanted to say no. I wanted to be like, no, 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 I'm going to ruin my week. But um, when, I, when I opened it up and I saw what we were going through, I saw that we're going to start First John in these first few verses, there's stuff in here that's, made a, that's had a, a deep kind of personal impact on me. And it, and it resonates with me a lot. And so I, as much as I wanted to say no, I couldn't. I couldn't resist. 
So there's things that, that I, I, I'm kind of personally drawn to, and I think it's, it's in keeping with what John is trying to get across. But, you know, God's Word is like, it's one of those, it's, it's something that the more you lean into it, the more you look into it, the more you press into it, the more it opens up, the more it yields. And there's always more. There's always more that can be said. And, and I'm, I'm afraid I can't maybe get everything across. But I hope that, I hope that, uh, that what does come through will be, you know, will be glorifying to God and, and profitable for us. So, I guess first I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm expected to do a brief introduction to, to 1 John, uh, his letter. So, there's something of a consensus amongst ancient Christian writers, um, namely a dude named Irenaeus who wrote in the 2nd century, like mid-2nd century, and Eusebius who wrote in the 4th century that John was, was in and around the church at Ephesus in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. All that aside, what's, what just comes through in the text is that John's writing to a church that he's familiar with. And, and, and he refers to them very affectionately. He calls them dear children. He calls them little children. He calls them beloved. He's got a, an affectionate relationship with this church. And as you read through this book, as you read through this letter, it becomes clear, like in chapter 2, that the church is undergoing something of a crisis. That, that people have left the church and they've left on very bad terms. And it's not that they've, not just that they've left, but that they're also, they're also denying things about Jesus. They're denying who Jesus is, who he was. They're denying the fact that Jesus actually came in the flesh as a real person. Uh, they're denying that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. They're denying that he is the Son of God. And so there's not only... There's not only like a rupture in the community, in the church, people breaking fellowship and leaving the community. That's heartbreaking enough. But there's also the added trouble of people teaching stuff about Jesus that just isn't true. And they're denying things which are. John, in chapter 2, he calls them antichrists. And in chapter 4, he calls them false prophets. And so... Um, these people, they're trying to deceive the church. They're confusing the church. And John is, is writing in response to this. He's writing a number of things. And it's actually convenient when you read the book. It actually, he actually says, I'm writing for this reason. I'm writing for this. He says it again and again. I'm writing for, uh, so, so that you might not sin. So that you might not walk in darkness. And one of the things he says, which I think is kind of like a paradigm for the whole book. He says in chapter 2. In verse 24, he's saying, as he's writing to the church, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm writing to you to reaffirm, to, to kind of re-articulate and remind you of what it is that you've heard from the very beginning. In, uh, in chapter 2, verse 24, he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in, abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So as John is kind of countering some of these false teachings, he says, hey, remember what you've heard from the very start. 
Remember what we told you from the very beginning. Stay with that. Hold on to that. Abide in that. Rest in that. Stay there. So he's writing to the church to hold on to what they've been taught since the very beginning. Matter of fact, that's something that, that, that term, from the very beginning, that's repeated. That's like a refrain that he keeps coming back to. From the beginning. He's writing to them, telling them to hold on to that, to be established in that, and not be led astray by what's, what's novel, what's new, what might be innovation and invention, but is really falsehood. So he's reminding them of what it is they've heard and received, and, and this, this other emphasis comes across is that, um, that what they received would be put into practice. He's not just calling them to like dead orthodoxy. It's not just about having the right beliefs or saying you believe the right things. John's concerned that what, what they hear and what they've received would, would show, would be expressed. And I think it's, it's actually, in this sense, it's, it's pretty similar to the book of James that we just went through. He's, he's not just interested in people saying they have true beliefs. Not just saying, I believe these true things. That's vital. That's essential. That's indispensable. But, that's, but by itself, it's kind of insufficient. He's also writing and speaking to the church to cultivate maybe true practices. And um, you know that that what we say we believe, it wouldn't just end there with us saying it, but that it would show, it would take root, it would be expressed um, in love. And, I, and particularly, that's, that's one thing he comes back to again. And I think it would be even fair to say that for John, the mark of our, the test of our orthodoxy, the, t- the test of our true faith is love. And specifically, the love we have for one another. John's writing so that we would turn from sin. We wouldn't walk in darkness. We wouldn't practice unrighteousness. We wouldn't keep on sinning. And we wouldn't hate one another. We wouldn't be divided, but we, that we would love one another. Um, and so, here, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of this. In uh, chapter 3, in verses 18 and 19, it says this. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. So John's saying, this is, the, this is the test. This is the evidence that we're in the truth. Is that we love one another, not just with our speech, not with just our talk, our words, but with actual deeds. Actual instances of love and I think you know here's the this is one of the differences between the book of James which has the same emphasis on what you say you believe and what you actually do and John which they share this same emphasis but John's tone is a lot different it's warmer it's more gentle you know Whereas James is kind of rebuking and reaming people out a little bit, John is like warm and fatherly, which is 
to me, it's kind of surprising because, look, you've got not just a break in the community. You've got not just people tearing apart the fellowship. They're also trying to teach false stuff. They're trying to lead people astray. They're trying to mess up and, and contradict what John has been teaching since the very beginning. And I, I have actually a hard time just staying calm thinking about it. You know what I mean? And so he's like, he's not, he's not railing. He's not going off. He's not scolding people, but he's trying to reassure, to remind. And I, man, I think that's something I can learn from and we can learn from that, you know, his, his vision of the church is a place where, where it's not just true belief and it's not just being loving and welcoming, but you hold these two together, right? It's not that just, you know, as long as you believe the right things, you have an excuse to treat people like garbage. You know, I've, I, I, as long as I believe the right things, I don't have to show kindness to people. I don't have to be gracious because they know where I stand. I believe this, this, and this, and you're just wrong. Or you're not drawn into, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe and everyone's kind of in their own quest and let's just be loving and welcoming and, you know, truth doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live. But John has this, this goal, this aim that he's, he's holding out to the church that you would have both together, that you would work for and strive for truth and love together. Not one, that you wouldn't settle for one or the other. And I think that's instructive to us. That's instructive to us. And so, that's, there's the introduction right there. And in these first four verses, there's, just, there's two things that I want to drive home. I want to hang on a, a little bit. And um, the first is this. It's the way the way, the manner in which John talks about what he's seen and heard and witnessed. So in, in the first two verses, it says this. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. John says, I saw it. What I'm telling you, what you have been taught since the beginning, I saw it. And he says, not, not just he saw it, he says, we saw it. And not in some mystical, spiritual, metaphorical sense. He says, we saw it. With our eyes. We, we heard it and we touched him with our hands. This word of life. This word of life is not, it's not a concept. It's not some idea. It's not some abstract truth. It's a person. It's the one that John writes about in his gospel. And he says, in him was life. This is the one who came so that we might have life. And have it abundantly. This is the one that was with the Father. And and was sent by the Father to give us life. To share that life with us. This is the one who appeared. John's saying this is the one who appeared to us. Who was revealed to us. This is Jesus. His son. And everything I'm telling you. 
is what I've heard. Everything I proclaim to you is what I saw. And, the, and, the, and that's the same thing we've been saying to you from the very beginning. We're not making this up as we go along. John is saying that's the kind of witness he is. And if the fact of the matter is that he's not unique. Peter says the same thing. If you go back one book in your Bible, the second letter of Peter, says the same thing. He says in chapter 1, he's like, look, we didn't, we didn't follow uh, cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Paul says the same thing in, in, uh, in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15. He says, after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter saw him. All his disciples saw him. 500 people saw him, most of whom are still alive. James saw him, and, and even I saw him. And if you read in the gospel accounts, the evangelists, they, they name names. They, they tell people's names, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, uh, Jairus. They, they, they name people's names because these are witnesses, and they're local. They're living witnesses of Jesus. And the reason I'm making a big deal about this is because there was a time when, when this dawned on me and it, it made all the sense in the world and it was like, it, it's just, it settled and put to rest a lot of questions and concerns I had at the time. Namely, like, can I trust the Bible? Can we believe in this book? Is, is this reliable? Is this historical? Right? And you know, when I first read the Bible, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do with it. I, didn't, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I, didn't, I wasn't part of a church. Yeah, I, didn't grow, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't, even have the, I, think, I didn't even have the internet at the time. So I couldn't listen to podcasts or read blogs or whatever you do. You know, I'm, I'm like in my early 20s and I'm having this crisis of belief and I got this, I got this gnawing sense that this, Jesus is super significant and important. And then I'm like, what do I do with this, though? Can I believe in this? Can I believe in these, the testimony about him? And so I started, I started reading. I started reading all these books. And it's probably, I read more at that point in my life than I had read up until then. You know, all through high school and college, I didn't read all that much. Um, and it's like, that was helpful. That was, that was beneficial. I think that laid some important groundwork. But I, there was a time when it just dawned on me. Someone had given me this book by this dude, this new age guru, Deepak Chopra. You know who he is? He's pretty famous. If you watch Oprah, I guarantee you've seen him. Um, and she was like, hey, did you read this book about Jesus? You know, Deepak, he's got these really cool insights and and, you know, it's not all that traditional dogmatic stuff that the church has kind of, you know, crafted throughout the years. And it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. And I don't mean to malign a man, but, but Chopra, man, this brother's worth like $80 million. He's writing a book, and there's a market for the sensational. There is. There's a market for, like, the scandalous. And I... You know, I don't mean to, to, to suggest something impure about his motives, but, but the brother wasn't there. You know what I mean? 
Y'all feel this at all? Has anyone, I'm going to date myself, I guess, a little bit. We're going on like 20 years now. Has anyone ever heard of something called the Jesus Seminar? Yeah, one, one, two. It's these, <laughs> the reason I bring it up, because there's a guy at my work I, we talk to, and he's really, oh, the Jesus Seminar. It's like this enclave of, of professional academics, 20th century North American academics. And they get together in this room, and they cast votes on, do you think Jesus really said this? And they call the media, and they call the public, and they, you know, they got this big to-do, and they make it in Time Magazine and CNN. And, and they've all got books coming out, too. They're all publishing books. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's, to me, it's so arrogant that all these people, 20 centuries after the fact, would be like, do you think he said this? Nay, yay. I don't care what you think. Put your hand down. You weren't there. And the fact of the matter is, um, it dawned on me that the New Testament is testimony. It's apostolic testimony concerning Jesus. Now, I, I like reading books, and I think there's, there's a, a great deal that we can learn from whatever, research, and, and I, have, I have shelves of them. That's fine. But there's something different about the character of the apostles, right? They don't have a book deal that they need to hype up. They're not seeking tenor, tenure. They're not seeking to be published in, in prestigious, you know, theological journals, their story is not going to get optioned for a movie. It's not. And also there's something about the character of the church. Before the church was like a, a big institution, you know, it was a kind of a band of fishermen who were more or less outlaws. You know, that kind of, they gravitated between being uh, ignored and, and flying under the radar to being outright persecuted. And who else is going to tell the story of Jesus except for the people who were with him for years and, and traveled wherever he went and ate meals with him and stayed with him and heard him teach and saw his ministry? Who else am I going to believe besides them? And when that, when that clicked on me, it just seemed like something unlocked. And I just, you know... I don't mean to like get all like on my soapbox and stuff, but I just think that's something we can just put to rest forever. Personally, I it's I just think it's 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 a it's a done deal. Even though I mean it's not it's not as big of a, of an industry as it used to be, but it used to be like a cottage industry. Every two weeks there was like a new book on the historical Jesus coming out. Two years ago, another guy, Reza Aslan, Jesus is a, a you know a twenty a first century you know radical zealot and you know or or the apostles are actually telling the truth and, and I mean my the way I look at it bro if, if the apostles got it wrong then you ain't going to get it right if the people that were with him his contemporaries if they, don't, if they don't get a picture of who Jesus is if they're not faithful in telling the truth in their, in their, in their testimony no 20th or 21st century 
I don't care how many degrees you have, you're not going you, you, to get it. You're not going to uncover, you know. And so that has made an impact on me. And it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, I guess, bolstered my faith in such a way that I see, like, when I'm, when I'm putting my faith in Christ, when I'm hearing Christ proclaimed, I'm hearing it from the mouths of the people who are with him and, and the ones who he sent out, you know? I mean, I, I think it's significant that Jesus didn't write a book. He didn't want to compose a theological treatise. He sent out a people who were with him. And he said, everything I've told to you, you need to bear witness to that. Everything I've instructed you, you need to instruct. And you need to make disciples and teach them what I've taught you. He sent out a people. He sent out witnesses. And so John's writing and people are leaving the church. And all of a sudden they got this radically different take on Jesus. And, this, and, and, and people are trying to paint a completely different picture and John is pointing people back to what he saw, what he heard, what he witnessed, and, and what they've heard from the very beginning. I think, I think we can learn from this. Because we're in a culture that is completely obsessed with what is new. What's new? What's novel? What's innovative? Right? What's trending? the new diet, the new exercise plan, the new phone that's going to change everything because you don't press it, now you, you push it. It's not going to change anything. You know, and, and there's, to some degree, there's, there's pressure on churches to be relevant, to be current, to be contemporary. And, I, you know, I'm not for going back to, you know, Saying the mass in Latin. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to get across. But, but you know, the Holy Spirit is pointing us back to what's classic. What's original. Um, and the pressure to be relevant or even like casual. The, there might be a danger that we even forget what it is we're, we're supposed to say. You know, that we're so conversant with what's contemporary and what's, what's going on right now, what's current, that we forget what it is we're even supposed to say. You know what I mean? No one else has this message. No one else has the gospel. You know, the world can, they can, they can give themselves self-help and, and therapy and stuff, but no one else can give the gospel. That's something that the church has inherited and, and that we just need to guard. Um, I'll tell you a really quick story. I work with a lady and she, uh, when she was like a teenager, her family went to like this, this church. I think it was a Methodist church. And I'm not, I can't malign Methodist. This was one instance. And, and Shannon's not here, so I can tell the whole story. It was a youth pastor who was like, wanted to be super cool and, 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 and like just real casual and wore bell bottoms. And I think they listened to like Joe Cocker or whatever. Is that it? With a little help from my friends, which was a, a popular song when she was young. And, um. They went to youth group, and, and one time we were talking about people that had retired from our, our workplace and had died. And I was like, I was like, yeah, it's going to come to us all. But then there's that guy that woke up from the dead, right? The one who got out of the tomb, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Never, she had never heard of the resurrection. She heard a lot about Joe Cocker and being cool and getting some spiritual high, you know, getting, getting high with Jesus. Never heard about the resurrection of the dead. And it's just, man, that's, that's tragic. That's tragic. And so uh, there's something to be said about just not, not, not losing what's at the heart of our witness, you know. And so the other thing that John, I think, drives home in this, he says in, uh, in, in verses 3 and 4, what, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John says that the life that was revealed to us, the life that Jesus manifested to us, the life that he came to give us, that we have through him and in him and with him, um, this is what we proclaim to you and we testify to it. And the reason we proclaim it is because we want to share it with you. We want to share it with you. So this fellowship, this relationship, this intimacy, this communion that we have with the Father and with His Son and with one another, we want you to have that too. What we have with one another, we want to share that with you too. And that's why we're writing this to you. What we're, why we're telling this to you is so that we can be full of joy. That our joy may be made complete. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that when there's a split and a fracture in this guy's church, um, and people are trying to teach heresy, the motive for John's response is, is joy. Is joy. If there's joy in this fellowship that we have with God and one another, if, that's a pretty good motivator to want to share it. Joy is... It's pretty persuasive. It's hard to argue with. Um, and that's not to in any way minimize trials and, and, and suffering and discouragement. It's not that joy is automatic all the time. We're always walking around on cloud nine. I'm myself maybe prone more than others to discouragement, I guess. But I, I find myself... I find myself surprised by joy when I do get the opportunity to open up my mouth and, and, and testify to what, what I've received in Christ, to testify about the grace of God, you know? And when I get a chance to open up and, and share that in my life, and that's a different motivator than, than wanting to argue and wanting to, to win a debate and wanting to be right. And I've got some experience with that too. I've, I've, I've done that, you know, and I've, I've, you know, I've been shamed a few times that, you know, you can't, it's hard to defend the spirit of God when you're, when you're operating in the flesh, you know, and I don't, you know, I, I have to, I have to fight for joy sometimes, and I don't, I don't imagine that I'm alone in that, but I think joy is one of those, you know, if it's not automatic, it ought to be frequent. 
It ought to be something that's recurring in our lives. It ought to be something we come back to again and again and again. And this is the kicker, I think, in what John is saying. He says he proclaims this so that they can share that fellowship with others. It's not just, hey, let me tell you about Jesus so that you can have a private relationship with God that doesn't involve me personally at all. Um, and I think this is wild because, you know, people are, are, are leaving the church and relationships are being cut off and, and people's trust is probably being challenged. And this, John says that this fellowship, this communion that we have with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, I want to you, I want you to not only have that with God, I want you to have that with us too, with one another. And um, can you guys maybe relate to the, the experience of having someone leave the church and having relationships be broken and, and having someone you love leave? Can you relate to maybe when someone leaves, maybe it's not all love Maybe there's suspicion. Maybe there's sour grapes, you know. Maybe there's some bitterness. And, and, and the, the temptation to say, I knew it. I knew it. I tried. I gave myself. I opened my life up. And look, look what happened. Look what happened. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seal off. I'm going to put up the safety tape. No more. I've learned my lesson. I know I know that it's a, a very real inconvenience to open our lives, to open our homes, to expose ourselves to people who cause trouble and make messes. And uh, I know there's a risk when we do that. Um, I know that there's, there's trouble when you bring in strays. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, my wife, there's been at least five times in my, in my life when I come home and my wife's like, this person's going to live with us for a while. Okay. I mean, I would bring people home. I would come home and like, hey, so-and-so from India or from Africa, they're coming over for dinner in like 10 minutes. Let's make something. But they went home after dinner, you know? <laughs> they went home. But like, you know, it's just, it's real. I Real story. She's in the kids' room, so I can say it. We had the, the police at our house a number of times because of people who stayed with us, causing trouble. You know, and we're young, and we're, we were immature too, and <laughs> now we have three people who stay with us, and they're probably not leaving for at least, you know, 10 years. You know, if that's if everything goes well. It's a mess. It is. It's trouble but I can tell you this from experience, that there's a huge difference between inviting someone to church and welcoming someone into the life that is shared together in the church. Y'all know the difference, don't you? I'll, I'll give you a, <laughs> a quick, maybe not so quick. I will give you a, an example, a personal example. You know, I had, I, I grew up, in a church, hearing the Bible read, getting the sacraments, memorizing uh, prayers, 
And it just didn't, it never, it didn't sink in, you know. And I had people with integrity, people who were legit, you know. They weren't phonies. They, they, people shared the gospel with me out of genuine concern. You know, crazy guy with the sandwich billboard, he shared the gospel with me. You know, classmates in college, they got converted, they shared the gospel with me. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't want to believe it. It would have been an enormous inconvenience to my lifestyle. And then I met this guy named, uh, his name is, <clears throat> his name's uh, Roberto Rivera. And uh, this guy welcomed me into a fellowship and into his house. And, and this is the first time I saw like real Christian fellowship outside of a Sunday morning, there was something about these guys that I had never, ever, ever experienced before. And it was something that was very weird. You know, I'd, I would go to his house for a barbecue or whatever, and everyone would have Bibles out. And like, I'd be like, I, I, I got to leave and go someplace. Like, hold, hold up, let, let's just pray real quick. And like 40 minutes later, I'm still standing. I'm like, I got to go, man, you know? There was so much concern. There was just openness, confessing our sins to one another. And I, man, honest to God, I was not a believer. I didn't. I didn't believe. I didn't believe. And it, 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 it came to a head in our lives where I'm like, look, I'm living this way, and you guys are living that way, and I just, out of respect for you, I just need to tell you that we can't, you know, we can't be on the same wavelength anymore. And, and, and you know, kind of, not, not like cutting off ties, but when that relationship started to, to, to grow apart, there was nothing else that was comparable to what I had experienced there. And this is, this was like the, the apologetic. You know what I mean? This was like, the, not, it wasn't an argument, but it was like this was the demonstration that I couldn't dismiss I couldn't be like, that's a myth, that's a fable. I was like, these guys, these dudes are different from these guys. These guys are different from the ones I grew up with, I ran with, the people I know now. There's something significant in that life together. You know, and I think it's, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, you know, when we, when we welcome someone in and we say, we'll give you baptism and we'll invite you to the Lord's table, but we won't live everyday life to you. I mean, what does that say? If we say, you can have salvation, but you can't have day-to-day life with us. That, that, you know, that doesn't speak very highly of salvation. And I know it's, it's more trouble. I know it's, uh, it's hard. But that's, I mean, that's an enormous witness, you know, Jesus said in John's gospel, they're going to know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. You know, all rational arguments aside, all philosophy aside, I mean, you can't, when you see love and concern and joy for one another, man, you can't, you just can't dismiss that. You can't. You can't do it. And so, I mean, I'm by no means perfected in this this area. I've got ways to grow too, you know. And uh, and we all do. But like here here, 
hear the concern of John for the church. Right? Hear the Holy Spirit speaking to the church and hear his counsel. When we, uh, are we having communion today or no? So when we, we come together, when we, when we open in song, which we're going to do shortly, um, we, we, have, we take communion together. And, and Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, look, communion is a, it's the same word that, that John uses for fellowship. It's a, it's a communion. It's a fellowship. It's a sharing of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. And all of us who take that, you know, there's, there's one food that we eat. There's one loaf. Or we take little crackers, right? So, but there's still one food. We're all eating the same thing. It's because we're one body. We're one family. And, you know, Paul can say that to a congregation that's, that's divided, that's fighting amongst itself, and that's, that has room to grow, certainly, right? And so, as we, as, we, as we share in the Lord's table today, as we experience that communion with Christ, pray that God would truly make us one body and, and truly open our, our common life together to share that, to not just share words and not just share testimony. That's indispensable but to be willing to open up and share our common life with the stranger, right? With, with someone on the outside, with someone who's never, ever experienced that before. Let's, let's pray. Let's close and we'll pray. God, um, by your grace, Lord, you sent your son to to show us life, to share that life with us, to share with us eternal life, to share the life and the, and the, and the glory that, that you share with your son, that he would open up and share that with a people, with his church, and that he suffered to give that to us, to make us, to cleanse us from sin so that we could be adopted into that family. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in this community, in the lives of these people, to open our mouths and to give us boldness to to testify to what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, what we've received, and to open our our lives and to to give away what what you've freely given us. God, we ask that you would do this And we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.